12. Uh, Daniel chapter 12. Just while you're doing that, I'm, I want to remind you that uh, this coming Friday, day after tomorrow, we have that, um, well, uh, Calvary Chapel uh, West, or Capilla Calvario Oeste, is hosting a bunch of Juarez at the uh, Grace Gardens. I think it's called the Grace and Peace Rally, or, you know, and I was looking for a bulletin, but I, I, I don't know exactly, exactly what time it starts, so it's, it's uh, this Friday at Grace Gardens on the west side, and I think it starts at 7. Is that, can somebody confirm that for me real quick? 7 o'clock? All right, starts at 7, and uh, well, we look forward to a good time out there. Uh, remember, I guess it was last year or the year before that uh, Pancho was here and had a, had a very, very nice crowd out there. So please uh, join us out there. Daniel chapter 12. I'm sorry? At 7. Thank you. All right. It's always good to have double confirmation. All right. <laughs> Daniel chapter 12. Verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written. In the book. This evening and the next Wednesday night, we're not only going to conclude the fourth and final vision given to Daniel, but we are going to also conclude the book of Daniel itself. Now, I have to say that, you know, in, in this way, that this week and next week, because I really wanted to do it all in one night. But over time, I've, I've realized that this first verse here is, is really rich in wisdom for our understanding of the times in which we live. The wisdom that we, we need to have in us and with us, in our hearts and in our minds, to deal with everything that we really are seeing today in this world. And so I pray, first of all, that, that this study has been a blessing to those of you that have been with us in the amount of time. I also hope that you've been able to see in this study of Daniel the handprint of God on every page. What God is doing in and through His Word, I mean, we not only see it in the book of Daniel, but in every, in every one of the 66 books of the Scriptures. But again, especially because we have spent so much time dealing with the issues that we see in the book of Daniel and what we see happening in the world today. Because we've seen God raise up kings and nations, and he's also brought them down. 
And as is yet to come, in other words, what is yet to come, kings and nations are already being put into place. And, he'll, and he's going to bring some of them down soon as well. But now our focal point tonight, the focal point of Daniel's fourth and final vision is that that is covered here in chapters 10 through 12, what we've been doing over the last few weeks, is made clear for us now as we go back just to one verse in chapter 11. So if you just go up a few verses in chapter 11 and look at verse 35. (coughs) Excuse me. Because here it says, And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them, which means to refine them, and to purge, which means to purify and to polish them, and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. The vision is clearly of the nation of Israel. We have, we have talked about this quite a bit in, in looking at these last three chapters. But it was in chapter 9 that we realized that Daniel was being told, this is the vision that concerns his people, Israel, and his city, Jerusalem. So that was the the, the very clear message, the very clear word that was given. This isn't about the church. Never has been. So to apply it to the church is is poor uh, hermeneutics. It's, 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 It's poor establishing of of the Word of God in the mind and in the heart. But we have talked a lot over the past few weeks about the seven years of tribulation that are very clearly outlined for us in this book of Daniel and related to the things that we see written in the book of Revelation. But the seven years of tribulation will be God's refining fire for the nation of Israel. We've talked a lot about the very fact that Israel itself is going through a time of chastisement, a time where the Lord is, is dealing with them because of their sin, because of their rebellion. In fact, if we go back to chapter 9 for just a moment, and you can see there in, uh, in, in verse 24 where it talks about the 70 weeks, the 70 weeks of years, that's, that's, uh, that's dealing with those seven, uh, seven years of uh, tribulation are determined upon thy people, it says. Again, Israel. And upon thy holy city. And then again, Jerusalem. To finish the transgression. In other words, to finish what is being placed upon them because of their sin. And to make an end of sins. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up the vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. And of course, again, finish the transgression. End of sins. Reconciliation for iniquity. All about what they have done over those many years that they disobeyed God. And through this fire of tribulation, many will come to know Yeshua. Many will come to know Jesus as their Messiah. And they will fall on their knees. And they will repent of their sins. And they will receive Him into their lives. And they shall be made clean through Him. Verse 35 of Daniel 11. Those that have come to that understanding of what is taking place through that seven-year period of time. 
But sadly, those who reject Jesus, both Jew and Gentile, will be burned as they pass through the refiner's fire and be eternally separated from God. With that said, let's, let's look at this last chapter of Daniel. In particular tonight, we're going to look at this verse, uh, one, one verse of Scripture tonight. It says that at that time shall Michael stand up. This is Michael the archangel, as we've called him. But this is Michael, who is the prince, as it says, which standeth for the children of thy people, the prince or the angel that stands watch over Israel. And it says that there shall be a time of trouble. That is referring to those seven years that are yet to happen. Such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. So there has been a lot of things that Israel has gone through. Even in, in, in recent history, in, in, in the 20th century, with the, with the Holocaust that was brought upon Israel by the Nazis back in the 30s and early 40s. Even then, that is not going to be like this time that is yet to come for them. That's hard for us to understand. Because if we continue to see the newsreels about what happened in, 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 in the Holocaust and, 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 and what happened to seven, nearly 7 million Jews. And when you think about that, I mean, it wasn't just the 6 uh, to 7 million Jews. There were many Christians that died because they protected the Jews. And there were many other groups that uh, the Nazis uh, eliminated, as it were. Not, not, not even to mention, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the communists in, 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 in Russia, the, the Soviet Union, that uh, th- under Stalin murdered even, you know, tens of millions of people, many of them Jews as well. And we think, wow, that, that just can never happen again. But the Bible is very clear that it is going to happen even worse than what we have seen already in history. So such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time, speaking again of that time to come of those seven years, thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. So these opening words tie the great tribulation, which... If you remember now, the seven-year period is called the tribulation period. The last three and a half years of that seven-year period is known as the great tribulation. So these opening words of Daniel chapter 12 tie the great tribulation, which is the last three and a half years of the seven years, to the political and the military ambitions of the Antichrist in particular as they relate to the Jews. So there has to be, there have to be Jews, and there are Jews today. And in 1948, of course, a nation was established in the land, Eretz Israel, in the land it is today the state of Israel. Once again, where God wants them to be. And there is no doubt about that, but a lot of people doubt it because they don't want to believe that. So they believe all kinds of other things that all of Scripture has already been Accomplished, all the scripture has been fulfilled, and we know that that's not true. We've looked at that throughout our, our studies in the book of Revelation and in the book of Daniel. And we've seen how they have missed 
certainly uh, on purpose because they don't want to believe this, but they've missed the truth. So Michael, the archangel, is going to stand up for Israel at a time when the world will be on the verge of destruction and the nation of Israel on the verge of annihilation. You see, the, the phrase time of trouble that we find here in our text is a Hebraic idiomatic expression that means that this period of time will be worse, or the worst actually, that the earth and those living on it will ever experience. Time of trouble. The Great Tribulation will be a time of terrible distress and unparalleled suffering. Jesus himself warned the world that it will be the most horrible period of devastation and suffering the world has ever known. Loss of life will reach epidemic proportions, almost reaching the point of extinction both of Jews and Gentiles. Because after speaking of the abomination of desolation in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus concluded that thought by saying this in Matthew 24 verses 21 and 22. He said, for then, and again, these are the words of Jesus. For then, he says, shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So now, we don't believe that Jesus is going to exaggerate about this. You know, Jesus wasn't out to sell books. He wasn't out to get himself elected of some sort, a political position. He was stating the truth about what he already knew was going to happen and is going to happen. And that is that if we think that there, there has been a time when there has been great devastation, there will be a worse time. So these are the words coming from the Lord himself. That there shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world. And what he's saying is there have been a lot of devastations, but not like this one to come. <laughs> no, nor ever shall be. And then he says, and except those days should be shortened. There should no flesh be saved. Again, is he exaggerating? Why would he? He's stating the truth. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. The Lord is telling us that things will be so bad that he, if he did not intervene, if the Lord does not intervene, man would destroy themselves so completely no flesh would survive. And we live always under that kind of threat ever since man decided that it was really important to create a, a nuclear device that could wipe out millions of people. And we're doing Israel no favor <laughs> And I'm just stating the obvious here. We're doing Israel no favor by allowing a nation like Iran, which is Persia, by the way, as we've been studying through the book of Daniel, to have access to building that kind of device. So, isn't that interesting? Where we are today. But it's even more painful to hear the prophecy of Zechariah. Concerning this time and this place. In other words, the time, of course, is what we're dealing with. The place we're going to see where it is. 
In Zechariah 13, verses uh, 8 and 9, it says, And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord. So we know when he speaks of the land, where that land is. That's Israel. It shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. Therefore, what he's saying is, two-thirds of the people in the land will perish. That's a lot of people. And I think I gave the numbers already, so we'll not look at the numbers again. But then he says, And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. And we saw, in essence, uh, what that was earlier, you know, the refining the, the, uh, in, in Daniel 11:35, what, what it said there about uh, to try them. This is speaking of that remnant, to try them, which means to refine them, to purge them, which, which means to purify and even to polish them. And to make them white. So it says, I will bring the third part through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. Sometimes we we go through trials in this life. We consider those trials to be greatly like going through a fire. We may not think about that as we're going through it, but we're just saying this is this is a very hard thing. This is a this is a tremendous trial. This is a painful trial. This is an agonizing suffering to be going through something of this type. And many times we are put through that because of where we are in relation to the Lord. Not as far as our relationship is concerned, but actually where our fellowship is with God. And it's easy sometimes for us to walk away a little bit from that. And the Lord who knows us and loves us as He does may sometimes turn the fire up a little bit. Sometimes we're told that we're put on the anvil, you know, what, what is what was the anvil for? You know, it, it is to take a, a, a piece of metal that has been st- put into a fire, <laughs> there's the fire, and, and heat it to where this, this, uh, this metal is, is, is glowing in orange color, light uh, uh, orange color, and, and, and then, you know, the, the smith puts it on the anvil and he beats on it and shapes it, and all of those analogies of the beating, the fire, and everything, is God shaping us and putting us back into a way that He wants us to be. So He does that to us individually whenever we need that. And when we're done and when we see why the Lord has allowed it, we go to Him and we say, Lord, thank You. I mean, we, we praise Him for it. Maybe at first we don't praise Him. Maybe at first we're saying, why, Lord, why? Why is all this happening? Why are You doing this to me? What did I do? You know, well, you know what You did. But then He puts you back in that place. And then all you can do is thank Him because you realize He's humbled you. Maybe even, maybe even to the point of humiliating you, but for the right reason. 
to get you to look back at Him, to get you to trust Him, to get you to love Him again like you loved Him before. Now, can you imagine the Lord doing that, not just to an individual or a few individuals, but to a whole nation of people, and in this particular case, a remnant of people, but they shall call on my name, it says, and I will hear them. You see, this is the wondrous thing about our God, is that when we call, He hears. Because He knows the heart that's calling back. He knows the heart that's saying, Lord, God. And He hears us. And, and, and I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. It is that wonderful acknowledgement again of who our God is. So there is a whole nation of people that are turning back to God. And all of this corresponds now to Revelation chapter 12. What we're talking about with Israel is is what I mean. All of this corresponds to Revelation chapter 12 when when the true colors of the Antichrist are made known. I know we spent a, a few weeks talking about the Antichrist and the beast and all of that. But if you'll turn to Revelation 12 for just a moment and look at verses 7 through 9. Because we see Michael mentioned here, because again, we see how, how the two uh, books very much correlate and support one another in the prophecy. And there was war in heaven, it says. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his, angel, uh, and, the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, when Satan is cast from heaven in the presence of God, he knows, he knows that the time is short. And thus, like, like a wild animal that is cornered or injured, he will come against anything and everything that gets in his way. And so, God's warning in that time is, is found here in, in, in verse 12, in the next uh, well, just jump down to verse 12, Revelation 12, 12. And it says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. Do you notice the distinction here? To those that are in heaven, he says rejoice. But to the ones that are on the earth at that time, which is telling us something. It's also telling us something about the church, where the church is. Because the church isn't on here, because if we were on there, then we'd be getting the warning. So he says... Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he has but a short time. So, just as he thought that he had won the battle of destroying Jesus on the cross of Calvary, and of course being sadly mistaken when when Jesus rose from the dead, But I believe he will actually think that he can destroy Christ's second coming by destroying the nation of Israel. And of course we know that in chapter 12, as we saw last time, that that the dragon, which is called Satan, in in that great uh, metaphor and analogy that we're given there in chapter 12, the beginning of it, that the woman who is Israel is going to give birth to a son who is the Messiah. And he's there waiting to destroy the Messiah. And we talked about every time that, uh, that the Lord is, is, is moving along this, this seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15 to where, wherever it is going. Of course, we know where it's going. But every time, there's always something that the enemy does to try to destroy that seed. And even after Jesus was born, as I mentioned last time again, Herod was one that, that Satan used to try to destroy by 
killing all of the male children of, of, of uh, the Jews, uh, two years old and under. So yes, he knows his time is short, but he doesn't know the whole story. Now think about that for a moment. He doesn't know the whole story. But if we stay fully in the Word of God, we know it. Still, the enemy will do whatever he can to disrupt the plans of God. He knows he can't win. But it doesn't keep him from wickedness. It doesn't keep him from doing the evil that he only has within him. There's no good in him. There's no truth in him. There's nothing that we want from him. Why do we want to take from his trees whatever fruit that he has? There's there's no good in them at all. So we see this plan of of disruption in the next verse, verse 13. It says, And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Again, who is the woman? Israel. He persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. That's Jesus. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. Uh, Three and a half years, there will be those who will be carried actually in some way. We don't know exactly how, but we know that they will be carried to this safe place in, in Petra. We've, we've talked about that and seen that in the scriptures. And then in verse uh, 15, it says, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. In other words, he was angry, deeply angry at, at Israel, the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So not only that seed that is uh, the remnant of Israel who, kept, who, kept, who keep the commandments or will keep the commandments, but they will also have the testimony of Jesus and we go back, you know, we can, we can actually begin to see who these, some of them are. Of course, you know, the 144,000 we talked about a long time ago with the book of Revelation. And, and certainly those that have, have come when, when they do see Jesus. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it will be, it will be as the prophet Jeremiah foresaw. And I give you this one verse in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, it says, for that day is great. The day, whenever it speaks of the day in the Old Testament... In particular, uh, the prophets, that day is speaking of the day of the Lord. Now, what is the day of the Lord? Again, it is not a single day. It is a period uh, of that seven years. That seven years of, of uh, that is called the day of the Lord, those seven years. So, alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time, <laughs> excuse me, it is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. 
he shall be saved out of it. Who, who will be delivered from all of this? We need to ask that question. We need to understand who this is. Who these people are. Daniel tells us this. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. That's the end of verse 12. Of, I mean verse 1 of chapter 12. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. What book? There's a number of books mentioned in the scriptures, but what book? It is the book of life. The book of life. I want you to consider, and we'll begin by looking at this one verse, and begin here our understanding of this. In Revelation 20, verse 15, it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, obviously, I think all of us here would want to say, I really want my name there. <laughs> I really want my name there, and I, I, don't, I don't want it to ever be blotted out. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but we want our name in the book, don't we? Because the uh, alternative <laughs> is not anything that we want to experience. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So I want to begin here by understanding the book of life, getting just a, a small understanding of it. Something that the uh, scriptures can teach us tonight about this book. Whose names again are written in this book? I think you may be surprised to find out that everyone's name is in the book of life, although not all will enter into eternal life with Christ. But please, let me explain. <laughs> let me explain. Notice that it says in Exodus chapter 32, verse 33. Notice this. We'll begin here. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. What's the implication? That there's a name in that book that can be taken out, blotted out. Y'all see that? I didn't write this. I mean, this, this, is, this is the Holy Spirit. It's not me. I'm just, I'm just passing on the news here. All right, so we see here that it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Now, it's interesting that Dan, uh, David, the, the, prophet, the, um, the psalmist king, David, in Psalm 69, verse 28, says very much the same thing. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Speaking of those who are rebellious against the Lord or sinning against the Lord. But then we find in the book of Revelation where Jesus is sending messages to seven churches. And one of the churches, uh, the church of Sardis, is, is given this admonition in Revelation 3 verse 5. It says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. 
And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So now three times we see this phrase of blotting out a name from this book. The Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned, I will blot out him, I will blot out of my book. David asks the Lord, you know, to let those be blotted out of the book of living and not be written with the righteous, those who are sinners against God. And then Jesus himself says, he that overcomes, the same will be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And so what, what then is the reason for the blotting out of names? Well, first of all, we, we make that, that point that I said every name is there, right? I mean, you come, into, you come into life. I mean, everybody that has life, that's been given life, has got a name there. We've been recorded. None of us snuck under that uh, radar, you know. I mean, every one of us that was born into, into this earth... No, I mean, none of you are aliens from another planet, right? I'm just, I'm just checking. I mean... I just want to make sure you're okay, you know, you're not a changeling or something like that. So, so, so we all came into the same world the same way. And we were given life. God gave us this life. Breath, understanding, intellect, hopefully reason, but sometimes I wonder. <laughs> I watch, you know, too much political news, I guess. Anyway, we all have life. And we're written into the book of life. But then what is the reason for the blotting out of names? Well, I want you to go back to Revelation 20, if you will, for just a moment. <laughs> I should have told you to keep your finger there. Revelation 20, verse 11 now. And it says, And I saw a great white throne. So now that statement should remind us of a couple of thrones. One throne that is called the Bema Seat of Christ or the Judgment Seat of Christ, which is not this one, by the way, but the Judgment Seat of Christ before which every believer goes before Jesus. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a judgment of reward, as it were. But the great white throne judgment, as we spoke of when we studied this in Revelation not too, too long ago, we realized this was the more ominous judgment seat, because this is the judgment seat of God. I saw a great white throne in him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. So there's the book of life that we were talking about earlier. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And again, when we talk about the great white throne judgment, this is everyone else that did not receive Christ, that did not 
believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, here again, God keeps good records. And he knows without any doubt you can't fool him about where you belong or where you are supposed to stand. And it says, and they were judged every man according to their works. What works they did on this earth. If you remember that Jesus had told us, and he will tell us that, you know, we're going through the, the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings, but we'll come to the chapter where he talks about that the works that we have is to believe. The work that we are to have as believers is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our work, as it were. So it says, They were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. I want to talk more about the second death next week, but we're going to mention it a couple of times here tonight. But this is the second death, and then, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Obviously, then came the blotting out, because everything that was done was recorded. So everyone's name that remains written in the book of life, the ones whose name remain will be delivered through the great tribulation. Although many will suffer persecution and even martyrdom during that time. Nonetheless, many will bear the marks of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we are talking, in effect, about the Jews that are going to be left during that great tribulation, who are actually, as a people, suffering together. But many of them, as I said, will bear the marks of their faith in Christ. So, excuse me, to be delivered means that the Lord will strengthen. Now, now listen carefully to this, because this is what we need to understand about being delivered. To be delivered means that the Lord will strengthen the believers through the persecution. Not take them out of the persecution, but strengthen them through the persecution. Strengthen them in their faith as well as in their assurance of eternal life. God is going to strengthen us even now as we're waiting for the coming of the Lord to take his church home. He, you know, we're waiting, but we, we go through persecution. I, I taught that a couple of Sundays ago, understanding Christian persecution. And, and the very fact that he's strengthening us through the trials. He's strengthening us through the tribulation that we may be going through, even the temptations that we have to face. While we do that, what does He do? He strengthens us in our faith. Through the, the trial, through the testing. And then there is assurance then of that eternal life and that it will certainly, you know, when, when, we, when it comes down to it, it's worth it all. It's worth it all. Even the Apostle Paul would say, listen... You know, the, the things we struggle in this life are, are just, they're, they're small in comparison to the glory that we will see and receive when we are with Christ forever. These little things he calls them, just little tests, you know, can compare to the great things that we will see, so it, it is worth it all. But you come back to those who are, who are having to suffer for their faith in the time of the tribulation, which is just a time that is uncomparable in any, in any shape and form with, with anything that's ever happened. But even the martyrs are going to be delivered in the blink of an eye. And as we shall see in the next section of our text, they will be delivered from that second death. And again, we will talk about that later.
So now, in the elect remnant of the nation of Israel in the last days, all of Israel will be represented. And, and I need to make this kind of clear here because uh, of, the, of the fact that we are dealing with God's plan to deliver all of Israel as a people. So the elect remnant of the nation of Israel in the last days will be represented. The people must, according to the promise made to their fathers, be saved as a nation. Now I'm only saying this because when we go back to verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. He's standing for Israel. So that is the context here. This is the whole context of what we're talking about. The people must, according to the promise made to their fathers, be saved as a nation. Hence, Paul is saying this in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, uh, chapters 9 through 11, he speaks all about Israel. Israel as a nation. Israel, of course, as a people who still need to know their Messiah, but Israel as a people that will be saved and delivered in the last days. And this is the reason why Paul in Romans eleven twenty six and 27 says, And so all Israel shall be saved. Notice that. Now, you have to remember, this is talking about the whole nation together being delivered through the time of the tribulation. All Israel shall be saved. We're not dealing here with individuals and their salvation individually. Though we know one thing, that when Jesus appears, they shall see him and they shall weep, for they will realize whom they have pierced. So all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer. We know who that is. That's Jesus. And shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. The whole reason for the seven years is to take away all of that sin. Uh, Daniel chapter 9 verse 24. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. The covenant that he made to Abraham. An everlasting covenant. One that even if Israel was trying to break all the way, you know, all the way through their whole lives of just being so irresponsible and, and sinful and rebellious and, and, and you name it, God said, but I will keep my covenant. And knowing that, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful when, when we ourselves make uh, grave mistakes in our lives and God forgives us and Aren't you? I mean, wow. So, you know, let's, let's not complain to the Lord about Israel. Those guys don't deserve nothing, Lord. Well, neither did we. You got it? You, you understand that? We didn't deserve it. But God said that He loved them in spite of them. You didn't love me first. I loved you first, He said. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And in effect, that, that applies to us as well. This is my covenant to them when I shall take away their sins. That's, that, again, that's Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. What, the whole reason why these seven years that are yet to come have to take place.
Let me quote another text dealing with Israel's future in which the one part is literally fulfilled prophecy and the other part prophecy yet to be fulfilled. It is Jeremiah 31 verse 28. I know I've given you a lot of verses tonight. But I, I believe they're, 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 they're a good foundation, a substantial understanding, to give a substantial understanding of, of, of this chapter, beginning with this first verse in, in Romans, I mean in Daniel 12. And that is Jeremiah 31, verse 28. And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. You see the part that has been fulfilled and the part that is yet to be fulfilled? The part that has been fulfilled is that he's had to pluck them up, pluck them right out of the land and take them to Babylon, take them to Assyria, take them to those places where he's had to chastise them for the things that they did, break them down, at times even to throw down, throw them down. The allowance of the destruction of Israel in many ways, afflicting them. You think the Lord had a good time in this? Or can we see from the scriptures how God grieves when he has to do this to his people? He grieves. Yet he does this so that he can build them again and plant them again to become a fruitful nation again. Now some of that we have seen. He's taken them from scattered places all over the world and today has gathered them once again in the land of Israel and prophecy has been fulfilled time and time again in that land since 1948 when that land began to become fruitful and, and what was a desert and what was left actually completely desolate by all these tribes and all these peoples that had been through it before. A wasteland because it had just become a place where people fought wars and, and all. Nonetheless, Israel today is one of the great providers of fruit and, and vegetables and flowers and and everything, just, you know, those of you that have been there have seen it. Whether we've gone in the winter, or whether we've gone in the spring, we've seen the blessedness of, of what God has done. The fulfillment of prophecy. The greater fulfillment of prophecy, of course, is the very fact that the dead, dry bones of Genesis, I'm, I'm sorry, of, of uh, Ezekiel 37 have arisen and, and He's put flesh on them and, and He's made those bones alive. Out of the Holocaust, the Lord has done that. But as we've said, there's still, a, there's still that seven years remaining for them to go through. And so our God, our God, Israel's watchman, never sleeps, 
never slumbers, but is ever watchful over his people. And that is the reason that the devil, even with the help of the whole world, has never been able to exterminate this nation. The devil has never been able to exterminate the Jews. And he's tried, and he's tried, and he's tried. There has been no nation like the nation of Israel that has resurrected an old language to become new again and to be spoken. Never. It's never happened. No other language has been resurrected. No other people have been resurrected but God's people. The Lord has a grand purpose with His people. He wants to build it up again. He wants to build Israel up again as His people and plant it in His land, which, as I say, He has done, so that in the day that, the day that is to come, many nations may flow to Him and His people. Consider Isaiah 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. Many nations are flowing there today to visit the land. Just multiply that in the time of the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, when that begins and when it happens. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And we know that as Jesus sits on the throne in Jerusalem, that he will be in complete control, even though he is now. But what he's allowing is to get us all to come to him. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And you think that this, this was a, one of the few verses of Scripture that the United Nations ever used to place upon their, their building in, in New York and and, and, and say, you know, this, this is what their, their whole aim is. The only problem is man can't do it. Man in, of the, uh, in, a, in and of themselves cannot do this because man is sinful. And the United Nations is really united in doing nothing because they can't do it. At times they, they, they make some progress in certain humanitarian issues, but they cannot keep war from happening. And they're not going to be able to keep whatever war is coming because the scriptures say that they're going to happen because of the sin of man, because of the heart of man, because of the wickedness of the Antichrist, because of the wickedness of the dragon who is the devil. Putting that last barrage into, into this world. Knowing his time is short. Last verse. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. I say the last verse. That's the last verse of that passage. Let's look at another thing. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 17. Where it says, At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord 
and all the nations shall be gathered unto it to the name of the Lord to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. So again, when Christ rules, everything will change. And they won't walk any longer after the imagination of their heart. That means that even nations will come to the Lord. Because, and I mentioned this before, that you know when we, when we see Armageddon happen and all these other things where, where nations have fought against nations and people against people and all, that we think, well, it's just going to be complete annihilation. The only ones that are going to, the only ones that are going to be around are, you know, the believers, you know. Well, there's still going to be believers coming. You know, not, not all people in, in, in evil nations are evil themselves in the sense that they have that, the same drive, you know. God is, is, is a God of life and of, of living and of, 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 of hope. You know, we, we talk about faith, hope, and love. So there will be many, and, uh, you know, I have the time tonight to go through all of that, but, but these are just what's, what, what we're realizing, the importance of Jerusalem, the importance of Israel is that people will come there. Why? Because God will be there. Christ will be on the throne in the, the Jerusalem that is to come. Zechariah 14, verses 16, through, uh, well, verse 16, let's just do that one. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, I think, right after this, uh, this study on Daniel, before we go back over to the book of Ezekiel, uh, I, I want to do a couple of uh, a few teachings on on the on the uh, festivals of Israel and the importance of the festivals of Israel as it pertains to Bible prophecy as it pertains to the days in which we live. It's an amazing uh, amazing look at uh, some of the things that we uh, that we have seen that you know sometimes we take for granted you know the festivals that that uh, the Jews partake of uh, even today, but there's tremendous prophetic implication. So here we have a verse that says people will come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, even those that fought against the Lord. So, I mean, that, that's significant. So as we shall see in the next major point, which we find in verses 2 and 3, but actually, what, you know, we're going to close out the book next week. At least we're going to try. We're going to close out the book next week. What we're going to see is that believers will be raised from the dead and delivered from the second death to live eternally with the Lord, which brings us to the foundational verse, I believe, of all verses that deal with the issue of eternal life, of course, we know as John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. And I think that in these past verses that we just saw about about the nations coming to Jerusalem, that we see the love of, of the Lord there. That even those who fought against him will be given the opportunity to come to worship him. Tremendous thought, isn't it? Because we have a tremendous God, a God of mercy, and a God of grace. But now listen to John 5:24. I'm just going to give you a couple more verses. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. What a tremendous promise that if we just come to the Lord and believe on Him, believe in what He's done for us, 
Believe in the one and only begotten Son of God, in Jesus, the Messiah, that we will not have condemnation, but we will have eternal life. The encouragement of that. I want to give you one passage here very quickly that gives us a, a kind of a, an ominous picture of the end. It says in, in, in Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. He that overcometh. Those, you know, the, the, the scriptures tell us that we who are believers in Jesus Christ are overcomers. We've already overcome, but we didn't overcome on our own power. We, overcome, we overcame because the Lord gave us that uh, tremendous blessing. He gave us the wisdom and understanding to come to him. But I want you to notice verse 8. It says, but the fearful... And unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, notice, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Those whose names will be blotted out of the word of life, or the book of life. Now I mention that because I I want us to realize the importance of, of the seriousness of what we're talking about. The seriousness of how we are to live our lives until the coming of Jesus Christ. Because the things that we see happening on, on, on the news today, I mean, the, 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 uh, I mean, the world's going crazy. I mean, let's face it, it, it's just gone nuts. Wild. And I can tell you this, I, I, I don't thank social media one bit, you know, uh, for the for the wickedness that it's doing to people and the stupidities of some people you know the you hear these talk shows where people are talking and they, the view and the this and the that the chew and the view and the who knows what else and they're just giving all kinds of opinions and saying this and saying that and getting angry and, 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 and inciting all kinds of other stuff it's a crazy world people being being shot at killed in movie theaters I think what's really crazy is our, our, our military having, you know, being shot at by terrorists. And by the way, Islamic terrorists being shot and not having the, uh, the means to defend themselves. That, that's just the craziest thing I've ever heard. You go to Israel, I am so thankful when I go to Israel because every soldier carries their weapon wherever they are. Coffee shops, wherever. And I don't get freaked out. I, th- I, th- I thank them. Thank you, you know, for... Being there, you protect us. It's crazy. And then just the the, the politics and the weirdness of, of what's going on, the geopolitical issues going on. It's shouting, listen to what God is saying to you. Listen to what the Word of God has been saying to you for thousands of years. This is going to happen. Now it's happening. What are we going to do? You see. So I leave you then with... 1 John 5, 4 and 5, for whatever, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. So this is what I'm saying. We're the overcomers. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith, our faith, our trust, our complete dependency upon the Lord. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want you to put aside anything that you know that is true 
from what the Word of God has taught us about the days, the times in which we live, and about the fact that the Lord still loves us with an everlasting love, with an everlasting love, and He wants us to be focused completely and totally upon Him, especially in these last days. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of opening your word and desiring, Lord, to receive all of the wisdom that you want us to have in it. We continue, Lord God, to look forward to the day that Jesus himself spoke of when he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am there, you may be also. Lord, we we look for that promise each and every day. We consider, Lord, the words of Jesus himself to us in the Gospel of Luke that said to look up, keep looking up, and lift up your head, for your redemption draws nigh. It draws near. Each and every day, with each and every passing event and issue and tragedy and turmoil that we see happening in this world, we just see ourselves one day closer to the coming of the Lord. And so because of that, Father, I pray that you would give us just an outpouring of your Holy Spirit each and every day that we can take hold of your truth and desire, Lord God, to stand upon it, to live upon it, to live it, and, and to desire, Lord God, to see others come to your truth. Father, we plead from the very depth of our hearts that, Lord, you would have your way with us. And we would no longer, Lord God, live our lives according to our own means, our own, our own purposes and plans. And while you have given us a, a wonderful mind and, and heart to, uh, to make certain plans for, for our day and for our near future, Lord God, still you have to reign over it all. And so we commit ourselves, Lord God, to allowing you to do that today. Lord, wherever we have a a plan that's taking us a little bit away from where you want us to be, just in your gentleness and, 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 and love, just bring us back to where you lead us to that place where you want us to go and the things you want us to do. We surrender, Lord God, our hearts to you this evening. And we bless you, Father, for everything you've provided for us, especially your word. Strengthen our understanding in our hearts tonight, Lord, we pray. Father, in Jesus' name, amen.